This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Hello and greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, we turn our attention to the most important thing in this room, the Word of God. We turn our attention specifically to chapter 5 of the Apostle Paul's second letter to the Corinthian Christians. They're beginning to read at verse 14. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God." Please allow a brief prayer. Father in heaven, every good and perfect gift comes from you. Today, we ask for the blessing of wisdom. We ask for insight that we may not only understand, but that we may have these words given in your word penetrate us and fill our hearts as well as our heads. We pray this confidently in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, there's certainly no secret about it, is there? Our nation, our world, our culture, our society is hurting, and it's hurting a lot. Much of it comes from the pandemic, COVID-19. But you've got so many people that are hurting physically. They're hurting emotionally, grieving people that they have lost as loved ones and family members. And then there's the economy and the impact in economic matters. We have small businesses going under. We have unemployment skyrocketing. We have 
health insurance that is not available to many people who genuinely need it. There's a lot of hurt out there. And then you have educators and you have students and the families of students in such turmoil and difficulty. It's not pleasant. And then you have athletes and you have sports fans that are going through hard times and emotionally it's very real to them. All of these things are easy to talk about until we realize that when we talk about a hurting culture or a hurting society, we're talking about people, real people. We're talking about husbands, we're talking about wives, we're talking about parents, we're talking about children, we're talking about friends, we're talking about neighbors. People, real people, including ourselves many times, are hurting. And you know the old saying, hurting people hurt people. And it happens all too frequently. You end up with more than just isolation or loneliness. You end up with domestic violence. You have social unrest. You have people who would, wouldn't under normal circumstances behave as badly as they do. And, and then you have people turning to the internet or they turn to social media for companionship or for direction. And it has unfortunately been established all too well that uh, the internet and social media is probably one of the primary sources of misinformation. Information that can deceive and it can destroy and make a ruin of something that was already bad. Okay, where's the remedy for the hurting people? ourselves and those around us. My wife and I, for over a decade, have been serving as volunteer ushers at the Milwaukee Repertoire Theater, the Milwaukee Rep. So we've had the opportunity to see dozens upon dozens upon dozens of plays, and, and we're constantly amazed at the talent of the authors and the actors that are giving messages through these plays. And in particular, we give them very high marks in their ability to diagnose many things that are just flat out wrong in our culture and our society. But you know what never shows up? Never once have we found it at the Milwaukee Rap. There's no solution. There's no remedy. And we've talked about it many, many times. And one night, driving home after a play, uh, I was whining in the car, complaining again. Yeah, they diagnosed it beautifully, but the no-show on the remedy. And my wife just calmly turned to me and said, that's not their job. That's ours. And that said it all. And that's the truth. Because solutions are remedies for the hurt, the deepest hurt, is a change of heart, a change of a value system. And this is what 
playwrights and actors outside of God's kingdom cannot accomplish. This is God's work. Well, now the focus is on us. We ask the question this evening, basing our observations and particularly our answers on that 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that I read a moment ago. How can we help our hurting neighbors? And I'd like to just spend some time talking about three most precious and wonderful things that you and I can do. First of all, we can point them to the reality of justice. Secondly, we can assure them of the reality of peace. And finally, we can share with them a glorious love. The Apostle Paul has given us magnificent truths in this chapter, and we're going to jump in there and come out with them, God willing, that we might hurt, help our hurting neighbors. Let's begin with the wonderful word and concept of justice. We can point these people and ourselves to justice. What a wonderful word, what a wonderful concept. No justice, no peace. You've seen it in print. You've seen it on signs that protesters have carried with them. There's not always agreement on exactly what it means. Sometimes it's seen as a threat. If you don't give us justice, we will give you no peace. Sometimes it's seen as a lament, a sad commentary on reality. We simply do not enjoy in our society right now a healthy dose of justice, and for that reason, we're not going to be able to enjoy peace. And sometimes it's simply observe a, 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 a statement of reality. That's the way it is. That if you do not have justice prevailing in a culture and society, you're not going to have peace, but a lot of turmoil and a lot of have-nots going at the haves and so forth. So that rallying cry is very real. And the important takeaway for us Christians is, do you see how the concept of justice, the appetite, the hunger, the yearning for justice is kind of hardwired by God into his creatures? Even people who have no reliance upon Jesus Christ as their savior and sin bearer. Or people that have heard about Jesus Christ and have basically dismissed him with unbelief. They still know what justice is all about and they want it. This is the way the creator has created us to give us in our consciences the ethical moral standards that of course come from him. And that longing for justice will never disappear. But here, here is our, our, our primary takeaway. The desire for justice gives you and me something to talk about with the people who are hurting around us. And why? Because God demonstrated his justice in the most astounding and wonderful way. God can do anything he wants to, right? He is God. 
And that means that he could have looked at us sinners and said, forget it. Hey, everybody sins, right? So don't worry about it. It's not on my agenda. It's no longer on the table. Have a nice day. Have a nice forever. But God did not do that. God insisted that justice be satisfied. He demanded it. He knew that our sins of rebellion against him as the creator and Lord of the universe is nothing less than a crime that is worthy of the death penalty. And he insisted that justice be satisfied and paid in full if we were to be forgiven. And what do we have in the word of God in Romans chapter three? Listen to these magnificent words. God presented him, that is Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice. So as to be the just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. When God looks at sinners today, he sees people whose sins and guilt has been paid for and removed and justice has been satisfied. Whether they believe it or not, whether they have received it and enjoy it, you know, they may forfeit the blessing. We understand that, and that is the greatest tragedy of unbelief. It takes a reality, the gift of justice being satisfied and the forgiveness of sins, and basically trashes it. But the truth is, it's there, and God has established that. So he sees us as people whose sins are paid for. And now we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ this way, we do so no longer. Christians don't just believe that Jesus Christ died. They believe that when Jesus Christ died, as far as the Heavenly Father is concerned, all of humanity died. I died, you died, we, our families, our friends, our neighbors, our fellow citizens, planet Earth, the people died. This is what we believe. And that satisfied justice. In other words, we have a, a great deal to contribute to the no justice, no peace dialogue in our culture. You would think, and many Christians make that assumption, but enough studies have shown that it's not correct. Unbelievers seriously have trouble connecting the dots between Christ's death and divine justice being satisfied and the foundation of the forgiveness of sins. They know about the cross, that's in the media, it's in jewelry. They get the cross and they know it's a sign of Christianity 
and they understand it was an instrument of death and torture. And yeah, true or false test, did Jesus die? You got it. I got it. Yep, 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 I got it. Give me 100%. Okay, ask them, what is the connection between the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and your disobediences and moral lapses and your indifference to the Lord God? Uh, that's where they have the difficulty. You and I, by God's grace, know what the meaning is. We know what the significance is. And the phrases that are batted back and forth, black lives matter. All lives matter. We have learned the hard lesson that those can easily, for a variety of reasons, be twisted or misunderstood. But there's another phrase that won't be misunderstood when you're talking to someone from the heart. Your life matters. Or our lives matter. And that puts it on the agenda how God came to solve the greatest problem in the universe, alienation between a world of sinners and himself. And we can talk about the satisfaction of justice and with that, the ushering in of the great gift of peace. Peace. This is what we are now moving to emphasize because the Apostle Paul did so. How can we help our hurting neighbors? We can not only point them to justice, we can assure them of peace. And look again how the Apostle Paul uses the, or takes the concept of peace by using the equally gorgeous concept of reconciliation. That's the word that he chose to use here. 2 Corinthians 5 again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. The etymology of the word reconciliation that we have here, it, it, it speaks of a, a change, a momentous change. And what's the change? It is the change in a sinner's relationship to God or his status before God. And that is the good news. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And when the message of reconciliation is entrusted to us, we understand as Christians that's our cue or that's the glorious truth that we are ambassadors and we are messengers to take the message and to share it with other people. And it's a message of peace. In a world where social peace, political peace, military peace, domestic peace is so elusive and such a non-starter for so many people, 
we can speak to them of the fundamental peace of reconciliation with the God who is. And that is the truth. Peace, peace of conscience. The peace of being able to wake up every morning and know that I am going to outlive the Rocky Mountains. I am going to be with the Heavenly Father forever in glory. I am at peace because my guilt has been removed and no one can undo that. And to speak of these things, of course, is to show to these people that are hurting a greatest gift that we can give, perhaps, love, and the highest kind of love. So how can we help our hurting neighbor? We can show them love. Ideally, of course, we all desire to show love, and we know that that's supposed to be the reality at all times. In 1 John chapter 4, we read, we love because... He, God, first loved us. There's where it comes from. And uh, unfortunately, we know that the reality in our lives is not always so simple and consistent. Here's a quotation. It's easier to love the Hottentot than to tolerate the annoying neighbor next door. I read those words over 50 years ago from a textbook in a public high school in Arizona. It is easier to love a Hottentot than to tolerate the annoying neighbor next door. Now, Hottentot is a now obsolete and offensive term for the Khoikhoi. It's an indigenous people in South Africa. So there's the meaning. But you get the point, don't you? It is so easy to talk about a love for those people on the other side of the world. It is so easy to talk about how I would love all of the wild people of Borneo. I would love to be kind to all of the people in this country or that country, wherever they may be but I find it very difficult to live peaceably and to show kindness and love to the people that are right in my own neighborhood. And that's the point. It's easy, for example, for me to talk about, oh, how I love the homeless. And I may mean that, but it's a different thing if I am asked to sit down and eat a meal with someone that perhaps hasn't taken a bath or a shower for a few months, or a person that may be chemically dependent, or a, piece of, a person that is suffering from some kind of mental illness, and who has a belligerent spirit because of the school of hard knocks. Yeah, it's, it's easy to talk about, but the reality is that it takes more. The atheist existentialist philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre put in his play, No Exit, a definition of hell. To him, as he wrote, he said, hell is other people. And he fleshed that out a little bit in the play. Hell is having to spend an eternity 
with all kinds of people that in re real life you didn't want to spend five minutes with. And we may read Jean-Paul Sartre and we know that he's infamous for his atheism and that he is a uh, uh, suicidal uh, uh, existentialist, a nihilist, all that. But you know, <laughs> he kind of gives voice to my sinful nature more often than I want to talk about, but it's the reality. Sometimes I act as though hell is other people. But how differently our Lord Jesus has acted and how he has taught us. Jesus Christ brings a whole different set of definitions. What's, who is my neighbor? It is any person with any value system, with any vocabulary, with any colored skin or colored eyes or colored hair or any age or indigenous background or any ethnic group, anyone that I come into contact with, welcome. That is my neighbor. And I am to love my neighbor. Our society obviously has become more and more strained. Protests and nasty political advertisements far different from Jesus' love. His love was messy, and his love ultimately cost him his life. This we know. My sinful nature gravitates to a little bit less messy and a little bit less self-sacrifice, and sometimes a lot of less sacrifice. We go back to Scripture. He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Perhaps a simple illustration. You got to use your imagination here, but it's not overly challenging, I promise. Imagine that I'm holding a pair of sunglasses. Now, you know that when you have a pair of sunglasses, you put those on, everything that you see through those lenses, the appearance changes somewhat. It's the sunglasses, the, the lenses. Yeah, it changes things. Okay, the reality. This is not an illustration. This is sober truth. Our dear Heavenly Father is looking at a world of sinners through the lens, if you will, of Jesus Christ and his perfect sacrifice on behalf of us all. So, because he's looking through Christ, what's he see? Does he see sin? That sin has been paid for. That guilt has been removed. It was transferred to him, and he, he paid it. What does God see? He sees righteousness. He sees holiness. He sees perfect obedience, because that's what Christ brings when he takes our place and God looks through him to see us. And by a miracle of the Holy Spirit in my heart and in yours, we begin more and more each day to look at people the way God looks at people like us. We look through Christ we understand the universal unworthiness, but we understand the incredibly amazing grace of God in Christ for us all. 
and we see forgiveness of sins. We see a righteousness of Christ that has been given to all. And that's how we help our hurting neighbors. We're able to point them to justice, assure them of peace, and show them love. Is it hard to live that way? No, don't say it's hard to live that way. It's impossible for us to live that way. That is why our starting point every morning, every noon, and every evening is going to be the same as we live out this life. It is to go back to the power supply. Go back to the words now of 2 Corinthians 5. Christ's love compels us because he died for all. So because of that, because of Christ's love and his death, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Therefore, in view of all of that, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new cre- in Christ, a new creation has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Well, we don't have to hire the Pinkerton detectives to find out where all of the power, where all of the miraculous capability comes from. It's all from God. A week ago, and I doubt if I'm alone here, my home lost internet. Yeah, the, the, one of the local providers had an outage. No internet. And then after uh, waiting a couple of days, they send a technician out. Angel was his name. Good messenger. He, he did a great job. Internet was restored. But not exactly. We still couldn't use internet. Because our modem in the home decided it was a good time to <clears throat> roll over and play dead permanently. And without a modem, which is kind of the um, gateway to the internet, uh, you're not, the internet can be there and available, but you're not going to get it. And so it took a while to restore our ability to have and enjoy internet. But the reality is that if we look at God as the provider of all of these good gifts, he uses the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, as the modem, if you will, the gateway into our hearts and our lives. And that is our lifestyle so that increasingly we will be able to help our hurting neighbors. Thanks be to God. As Paul put it, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, thank you for showing us how our sins have been paid for, how justice has been satisfied. Thank you for impressing upon us that we are the recipients of peace as well as love that we can pass on to those around us. We ask for your Holy Spirit and the ability through the gospel to grow 
in these gifts that he provides that we might share those with our hurting neighbors and apply them at every step of the way to our own lives. Hear us with these petitions, again, for the sake of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.